Hi, I'm your host, Aaron, and welcome to the First Generations Podcast, the show where we dive into the personal experience and knowledge of individuals that pave their path to success on their own terms. From entrepreneurs, professionals, and beyond, we will learn what it takes to walk through their journey and what it means to be first generation. Coming up in this episode... I think that, you know, we lead a transactional life, many of us, whether we're in sales or we're in the accounting profession or whatever it may be, we all work hard and and we still may be successful, but there's more to life than being transactional. And I told folks today in this presentation that sometimes you're going to need a favor. Yes. You're going to need to help someone. And if you haven't built relationships or you've been that taker, Aaron, how do you ask for favors? Welcome to the First Generations Podcast. Today's guest is the best-selling author of the book, The NCG Factor, a formula for building life-changing relationships from college to retirement. He is a connector, giver, and rainmaker who lives his life to help others succeed. Our guest is a senior-level sales and operations leader running the Midwest region for Jefferson Wells and has been a globally published speaker and trainer on LinkedIn for more than a decade, having spoken at YPO, Visage, FEI, TMA, AMNAA, and many other associations, corporations across industries. He is an investor and advisor to several local technology companies and supports various local and national charities. He currently resides in a Chicago suburb with his wife and two children. Without further delay, I am proud and honored to present you our guest for today, Larry Kaufman. Hi, Larry. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. Aaron, how are you doing today way up north? I am doing wonderful. It is currently one degree Celsius, which is which translates to thirty degrees Fahrenheit. But uh, I'm grateful and blessed during our times, especially current times. But yeah, so what is one thing you are most grateful for at this moment? You know, I think I'm grateful. You know that I've had the opportunity to help a lot of people in different ways during this pandemic, and so that. That's what I'm grateful for because I've been fortunate. We've had our health. I've stayed employed, but I've been able to extend, you know, my network, my relationships, my knowledge to those in need, you know, whether it's someone's children or, you know, the adult network I have. So, mm -hmm. you know, so I've been fortunate to actually be able to help folks that have not been as fortunate myself. That's what I'm grateful for. Yeah, that's awesome. And I wanted to ask, how's your family doing in Chicago? How's the weather currently? We, we're probably up about 20 degrees from your 30. I, oh, don't wow. talk, I don't talk Celsius in Chicago, but <laughs> Fahrenheit wise, we're doing pretty good. Family's good. Yeah. We're, we'll all be fully vaccinated mid-May and knock on wood, everyone's healthy, happy, and we're just under one roof too much. So it's good to break away now and then. Oh, yeah, definitely. So we met through one of my mentors, Christopher Kai. And during my process of preparing for this episode, I was on your LinkedIn profile. Under your info section, it says, ask you about your brief movie career. So I want to ask you about your brief movie career, especially with planes, trains, and automobiles to backdraft. So can you tell us more about this? Well, I actually intentionally put it in there as a test when I do presentations to groups around LinkedIn and as well when I just meet with people to see if they're taking the time to read people's profiles versus just a cursory review and not taking the time to pick out things that could be really good to talk about. So, you know, 
I, I put the, that in there, you know, more as sort of a test, but I'll okay. tell you, but I will tell you that, you know, I did participate in about seven, seven different films when I was younger with much more hair uh, <laughs> with aspirations that maybe, maybe something would happen. You know, you always think, Oh, you know, maybe something I was a stand in in one and, and the others I was an extra and it was just a fun thing to do and be a part of and see that process and be around celebrities and some of those that have, you know, passed on like, you know, John Candy and others, but it was a great, great experience. Yeah. No, I did not become famous. Not yet. Right. <laughs> no, I think the yet's over. So it's done, but, but something I could say I, I did and had fun and it's, it's out there that we could reflect and watch a, a movie and, and see my finger or my foot yeah. or the back of my head. <laughs> so when you had these aspirations, was there a specific celebrity or actor or actress that you looked up to? You know what? I, I don't think it was the actors or actresses. I think it was more, it was more the fact that, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm participating in this, but I will say it was fun to yeah. watch Steve Martin and John Candy improvise and, you know, take after take and, and so much is cut out that you never see, but I, it's, those are mental images I, I retain being face to face with Ron Howard, you know, when he would come into the extras room for backdraft. So, <laughs> you know, I admired all of them, you know, just a really cool, fun, fun time that uh, not everyone gets to experience. That's pretty awesome. You've had a lot of accomplishments and milestones. Do you believe that your 25 year old self would have been able to anticipate that you'd be involved in your current industry and projects today? I think my 25-year-old self was very immature and, and didn't know what he wanted out of life, but he was comfortable being around people okay. and interacting with people that he didn't want to be somewhere tucked into a cube, you know, and, and not interacting. So I, I think my 25-year-old self was disappointed that he couldn't be a doctor. And okay, yeah. that was the original goal. It was probably more my parents' goal than mine, you know. So I, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So it was my dad that led me down the path of going into sales, which then I, I really wanted to manage people. So I've, I've gone back and forth, being a people manager, a leader, and being in a sales capacity, but always wanted to be with people. Oh, okay. Would it be fair to say that you were not an introvert while growing up? You're, you're more so a social butterfly. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I was the class clown that always got in trouble for doing that. So yeah, I, I was definitely not an introvert, you know, so I definitely was that person that liked to be the center of attention. Yeah. You know, and that's why I do a lot of speaking today. And I, I really don't like being on panels. I like, I like being the center of attention. If you're on a panel, you're, you're not the center of attention. You're sharing the stage. I don't like to share the stage. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> now, you were also known as LinkedIn Larry. So are you able to elaborate how you were given this nickname? So the, the LinkedIn Larry and I, you know, Zoom allows me to change my name. So I, I put it as LinkedIn Larry. You know, I, I was fortunate. A woman that I work for, an executive out of Minnesota, we were at an event in, in Vegas and uh, she introduced me. As I was going to do some training, I, a lot of times I do training internally at our own companies. And so yeah. she 
brought me up on stage. And, you know, I tell people that she first brought me up and said, Hey, it's scary Larry. And, you know, she liked to have fun and that, that nickname didn't stick, but then she said, you know, it's, it's LinkedIn. Larry's talking about LinkedIn today. And, and that <laughs> stuck and that, and that works. And I share that with people and, you know, I've run into people like in an elevator, be like, Hey, LinkedIn, Larry. And so it, it's fun. It, it works. Yeah, it's definitely catchy, and it's definitely something that sticks into my mind, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> here I have your book here, and I, I'm sure we'll be discussing more about your book, The NCG Factor, but I, I believe, I, I recall reading, reading one of your chapters, you were able to max out the number of connections that LinkedIn has, and I think that, that number was 300,000, if I'm correct, at first? No, it's it's 30,000. Oh, it's 30,000. 30, yeah, so LinkedIn for a long time allowed you to have as many connections as you wanted to. So there were, you know, some executives, entrepreneurs, you know, people that had nexus of 100,000 connections. Yes. And then LinkedIn uh, picked a, a time, a day where they said, you're no longer grandfathered. You're all going to be capped at 30. So the person with 100,000, they would take that last, you know, 70,000 and they'd be gone and yeah. they eliminated them. So we are capped at 30,000. And so what I have to do to let people in, I have to bring people out. Oh, wow. I have a limitation. And so I, I do take people out that, you know, may, maybe we're just not that actively involved or they're in a part of the world that we don't interact or their business is, is quite different or we just connected because we were going crazy in the beginning of LinkedIn many years ago and connecting with anybody and everybody. So I've been a more selective these days. Okay. So how do you keep track of that? Like, do you have a list of, again, I'll refer to your book. Do you have like a little sidetrack list of givers and takers and do you classify people as givers and takers and start taking out the takers when you have more people can try to connect in or how, how does that work for you? Yeah. LinkedIn does not have a drop down for givers and takers, but no. that, you could recommend that to the new leadership. So I, I would say, no, I don't have that. I don't remove people. Well, necessarily if they, I'm thinking of them, Hey, they're a taker. Uh, it's just maybe more so interaction, but okay. I do look at my network and people I interact with and, and those that interact with the most. Yes. I, I do know in my mind when I talk with them, the type of person that they are or how they've interacted with me. And it doesn't mean that we have to be doing things for each other every day, every week. It, it may have been three years ago, but I just know how they are. And some people, I'm sure, Aaron, for you, you may talk to someone, you know, three years ago, you connect with them mm -hmm. and, and it's like you never missed a beat, right? It's just because of the relationship you had. And so it's good to reconnect. You can't meet with everybody and there's a lot of great people, yes. but if you had a good rapport, a good relationship, they're of a giving nature aligned with your philosophy in life, you don't have to meet with them every day, but you could actually reach out to go, Hey, I need help. And, and they would. Yeah. So I know, I know who those people are. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> so what do you believe is one of the most important functions in, in LinkedIn that many users are currently not taking advantage of right now and why? I know this sounds really hard to believe. A lot of people think the search window. Yes. Where you type in something, a company or person, they think it's just that search window is the only way to really do deep searching. I've, I've 
conducted a lot of training programs and or even one-on-one -on -one conversations like this and i pull that up and i go well here's the depth that you could go with just that a search beyond just the window and people are shocked oh i didn't know you could do that i didn't know wow i didn't know i could do all that and then there are other searches i, I showed a woman who runs a not-for-profit based upon what she does in that not-for-profit, helping out folks that live a life of poverty and are homeless, how she can actually find people that could be potential donors and using some search techniques and some, some keywords that I showed her how to do it, that she could find people that actually have a passion for helping those that are homeless and was, was shocked. Now that's something I, it's hard to de describe in an audio podcast, but there are things that you could do that people are unaware of. Those are a couple of things, and there's so much more. Yeah. As of right now, LinkedIn is known as like a professional type. It's kind of like a professional Facebook for connecting. Do you personally see LinkedIn evolving or expanding its capabilities outside of the professional realm? Like, Because you know how with Facebook and Instagram, you know, Instagram back then, they used to be just purely pictures and then it's it kind of evolved. Same with Facebook. It was just purely like a social networking tool. And now there's like a whole marketplace. It's kind of evolved to pages and it's expanded to like this B2B and not just be business to consumer. Right. So do you see that happening with LinkedIn? I, I do. Uh, LinkedIn, you know, introduced LinkedIn live. So you could do sort of like these live, you know, podcasts basically. Right. Okay. LinkedIn is uh, about to come out uh, this year. Probably, you know, it's going to be periodically providing updates that you can do with your profile with video. Video is going to become much more a part of LinkedIn. So you're going to see more with video. Okay. You know, and LinkedIn does a tremendous amount with recruitment, you know, and I, I spend a lot of money with LinkedIn for my teams using the various recruitment navigator memberships, et cetera. So video will become very, very uh, primary, you know, as a feature with LinkedIn, within your profile, telling your story and so much more. So LinkedIn, you know, they get the funding of Microsoft. Microsoft owns LinkedIn. So be ready, much more to come. Nice. So you, you mentioned recruitment. Just out of curiosity, does a modern resume submitted for a job matter to you personally as much compared to a LinkedIn profile or how does that measure to you or for you, sir? Well, you know, I'm, I'm actually advising a company that gets involved with, you know, putting together a video resume. I think those are very powerful, right? So I think visually people want to see and hear the candidate. The paper doesn't tell the story. I will also say LinkedIn, I try to tell people LinkedIn is not a resume, a lot okay. of people think that's your resume. That's where, you know, that's your resume, which to a degree it is. But Aaron, if you're a seventh degree black belt in a martial art, you're never going to put that on a resume. If you jumped out of a plane, you're not going to put that on a resume. My movie career, right? <laughs> as exciting as it is, if I put that on a resume and I was truly looking for a job, they would take that, they would laugh at that behind the scenes, you know, in, in HR meetings. Mm -hmm. Don't call that guy. <laughs> Look what he put on his resume. So LinkedIn is an opportunity for you to actually 
share things that may entice a hiring executive that sees that you have a passion to help those afflicted with autism or cancer research. And yeah, you're a black belt, you've climbed a mountain, you know, things that, you know, that really round you out and show people that you're more than just a chartered accountant in Edmonton. Mm, Okay. That makes sense. And I I like how you put it that way too, because I feel that it can be used at times as a resume for certain employers or even a lot of employers they're starting to sift through the whole social media profiles for potential candidates. And from there, that's when they start, you know, trying to add tie in one or two or A and B together with their resume. Right. But like you said, with LinkedIn, you can share other personal details or facts or just to show them who you are. That That's definitely great. I love how you mentioned that. Now, how did you come to stumble across LinkedIn? Cause you know, when social networks are so apps start, like you don't really hear too much about them, right? So, like, were you contacted by a member of LinkedIn and you just start and you realize its potential, or like how how did you stumble across this? So it was actually a CPA that worked for me that I trained to be a salesperson. He actually sent me an invite when there was probably about a hundred thousand people on LinkedIn globally, so it was really new. And I tucked it away. I didn't delete it, but I didn't do anything with it. I just, I tucked it away. I never talked about it. Never, I didn't know what it was, right? Just, and then I, I started hearing about it and I had went off into a business with a partner and I found that, that email that he had sent to me and I was like, oh, you know what? I've been hearing about this based on what I'm doing today. Maybe this is good. So I created a profile and there was about a million, 100,000 members by that time that I finally opened it and accepted it and started to dig into it. Ah, uh, I see. And that kind of ties in with, again, like social capital. If you didn't know the CPA that referred you to it, like you wouldn't have even been exposed to LinkedIn, I guess, <laughs> or maybe it been exposed later on, right? <laughs> right. It's so all different things that come together that make things happen. So he was that first step to LinkedIn. And then there was a woman that asked me to come and train a group of business owners about mm-hmm. LinkedIn when it was new. So I did that. And that was my start to speaking about LinkedIn. That's wonderful. Now, next, I guess I want to discuss your book, The NCG Factor, A Formula for Building Life-Changing Relationships from College to Retirement. I personally wish I had stumbled across this book when I was in university as I did not grasp the concept of social capital and how important it was until afterwards when I was actually working and after I burned a couple bridges. <laughs> so in the book, one area I really resonate with is the concept of the giver versus the taker, which we kind of mentioned earlier. And personally, a saying one of my mentors told me relates to this and has stuck with me ever since. And it kind of goes along the lines of every good and genuine deed performed as a giver is like an invoice to the world and the universe will pay it back in its mysterious ways with interest. And I, I just want to share that because that's the first thing that came to my mind when I, when I was reading your book. And how did you come to develop the giver mindset? As I believe you were also in a very similar scenario like I was back in university where we didn't make the most out of it, right? Out of networking and social currency. <laughs> right. I, yeah. I was networking in a different way, you know, with beverages And yeah, it was, it was a different time, you know, for me, I've got a couple, couple of years on you. 
And so, yeah, things were a bit different back then. And no, I, you know, I, I do know people that took advantage of college in a different way than I did. And I wish I, I wish I, you know, had some of that knowledge, but I, I would say I wasn't a person that picked up on being giving until later in my life, but definitely wasn't in college. And I spoke to a group today where, you know, they're, they're actually uh, accountants like yourself and, you know, just said, Hey, it doesn't mean you're a bad person that you're working 60 to 70 hour work weeks, but you know, what does your legacy look like? And are you a giver? Are you helping others? Are you connecting people to people? It doesn't mean you're a bad parent, sibling, significant other, leader, team member, but there's more to life than just work. And what are you doing to, to help other people? And I feel ashamed that I, I didn't pick up on that until probably 15, 16, 17 years ago when I met an attorney who was a connector and he was connecting people to people. So I learned from him about being a connector. It, it, just because you're a connector doesn't mean you're a truly giving person. Yeah, You have to perfect the process of putting people together or helping others. But hey, you know, you were good in accounting. So, you know, maybe you tutor someone in accounting. That's giving. You know, mm-hmm. you, you participate in a charity that helps to abolish poverty and get rid of it and, you know, help third world countries or whatever it may be, sick children. What are you doing as a giver, as a volunteer? It, it doesn't mean you have to be a connector. Mm-hmm. So the NCG is networking, connecting, giving. So I don't care if people are just givers or if people are connectors, but thoughtful connectors. But, you know, I learned late in life. And so my goal is to help people at that college age. I've talked to some high schoolers. Okay. You know, it's those that are like, you know, a little more mature, some of the STEM programs and, and, and open to thinking that way. Or I spoke to a, a group of young women who were aspiring leaders through camp CEO, part of the Girl Scouts. And so talking to them at a younger age, but they're getting it. And so we can instill that in our children. But yeah, I think you and I going back to our college days, it's nothing to brag about, at least for me, but I, I wish I knew what I know today. Yeah. Hundred percent, and I've even noticed it too. Like back then, even before I took the giver mindset too, when I first, you know, I was super green in, into my job or into my internship when I where I was uh, articling, and throughout that process, I realized certain managers and executives and partners. What stood out to me was everybody in the firm or everybody in the industry. They were good at what they're doing, right? But what really set apart the managers and like the partners was the ability to connect and to give. I remember like one of the partners, they were saying, you know, I'm going to a charity event this weekend. And in my mind back then, I remember like, why would you go to a charity event? You have the whole weekend to yourself. But I didn't realize that or I didn't have that perspective. Right. And like, like I mentioned earlier, until I burned a couple bridges and I had a couple more mentors come in and having to learn from my own failures. It really is more about giving. And there's just something so pure about the feeling of giving. I personally find fulfillment when you're giving and helping someone. Well, they, well, they say there's a you know a chemical release in the brain when you do something like that, you know, and people will say, hey, Larry, what can I do for you? You're helping me. I said, well, you know what? When you come back to me and say that connection to so-and-so was just outstanding or it led to business or it helped my charity or that, that like set something off in my brain and I'm, I'm like, really happy and, and really excited. And when you 
talk about like accounting and partners. I, I was in public accounting. I just had lunch with the managing partner who had escalated himself to that role that hired me in public. And yeah. it was in that accounting world that I, and not saying all of them were like this, but they truly built relationships. A lot of them were really giving philanthropic. And, and I saw that there, that they were truly trusted advisors. Again, not everybody, mm-hmm. but you know, those top performing partners or those that were on the track set a great example. And I, and that helped me too, you know, as I wrote the book, because I, I learned from them too. So that they were, they were mentors and that didn't realize it, but a lot of them were. Yeah. hundred percent. So what is one of your most memorable and fulfilling moments to date as a result of implementing the NCG factor? And it can be like a moment where you didn't express it in your book. Well, if I think about the most fulfilling moment, it is in the book. Okay. Uh, but it ties into a principle that's good good to talk about because I think that, you know, we lead a transactional life, many of us, whether we're in sales or we're in the accounting profession or whatever it may be, we all work hard and, and we still may be successful, but there's more to life than being transactional. And I told folks today in this presentation that sometimes you're going to need a favor. Yes. You're going to need to help someone. And if you haven't built relationships or you've been that taker, Aaron, how do you ask for favors? And do you need a favor? Maybe not, but maybe do for a family member. It could be for health purposes. It could be anything. And people have asked me for all types of crazy, weird, obscure, (laughs) and normal favors, but I'd like to honor them. And, but I needed a favor for my son. And, you know, I, I tell this story in my presentations, my speaking engagements in my book, because it's powerful, but drives home a principle of why you need to build relationships. So uh, my son had gone through a life of bullying and I, and I tell people I have as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, I even wrote an article and it's in my LinkedIn featured section about being bullied for him. It was very tough. And, you know, I, I can't go into the depth of everything, but it's very impactful to him. And and I needed a favor for my son, to be honest with you. And thank God I've been building relationships where I could ask people for a favor. And this one was very specific where my son was in a bad place. And what, what brought him joy was the Chicago Blackhawks. Now, you being a Canadian, you could appreciate the team. Not lately, maybe. But <laughs> you could appreciate the team. But I think it was, you know, the fact that this you know, hockey, the, the Blackhawks Hawks specifically brought my son an outlet where he would make these montage videos of the players. And okay. he built this big Instagram following and, and that was like, that kept him busy and, and he just loved the Hawks. And so I fear if I could do something for him with the Hawks, that would be life-changing, but I needed a favor. So I reached out to a friend of mine who played for the Chicago Bears, Desmond Clark. And I met Desmond when he just left the Bears, a young guy, and would just had instant likability. You just you love the guy from the moment you met him. And we fostered a, a, a wonderful relationship over the years. So I called in a favor and I, I said, Hey Des, can you do me a favor? And and he didn't waver. He didn't be like, Well, what is it? He said, What do you need? Of course, right? Like he whatever it was, 
I didn't know if it was going to be legal or illegal, but <laughs> it was legal. And so I, I said, look, I told him the story of my son. I told him all the detail of my son, things my son has been through. Could you do anything for him with the Hawks? He said, give me a couple of days. Let me think about it and I'll get back to you. And within a couple of days, he got back and he said, hey, Larry, the NHL draft is being held in Chicago. I'm going to get you a seat for you and your son at the draft. And then you're going to meet a player. Now, it could be Bobby Hull from years ago, or it could be a current player. I don't know. And I said, Des, you, you, you exceeded my expectations. I'm good. You're the best. I told my son. He was excited. We got to the, the draft. We're sitting down. We get a text from this woman at the, the Hawks. Come on down for the meet and greet. And she escorts us to this private area. And we see a photographer. And we see these two guys in suits holding this box of stuff and you could tell it's hats and pucks and, you know, and it's Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze. Now, Oh my, <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, you know, for anyone who doesn't, you know, follow sports, just pick the most famous popular people. Well, these are my idols for my son. Like, so my son was overwhelmed and you could just, you could just see the emotion. And, and I let him do his thing. Like, you know, but we took pictures and, but I stepped away and they, they talked to him for like, 15 minutes. They knew his story. It had been shared and, and they signed stuff from him and, and he has pictures today. He can go in the cloud and get them. And, but like, you know, the look in my son's eyes and then just, you know, like he's not real emotional, but gave me this hug after, you know, and it's, it's, it's like, whenever I bring it up, it's, it's very emotional, you know, and it was, it was just a moving experience and he'll never forget. And that was a favor Desmond did for me. It was life-changing for my son and for me. But if you don't build relationships in your life and you're transactional, you may need to help your, your spouse, your significant other, your children, a sibling, a friend, a business peer. And how do you do it if you're not networking and building relationships of substance and helping others? So I always put other people before me and I, and I like helping people and I really want to do it, you know, and, it's not so I can ask a bunch of favors, but if something comes up and I need that favor, like I did, that was powerful. So I, I know I went on, I'm sorry, but hopefully it's, it's helpful to hear it. You know, that from me live instead of reading it in the book, though. I want to thank you for sharing that live too, because it, it is truly wonderful too. And you know, I feel that meeting a lot of individuals, whether it's connecting, networking, and even I myself back then too, it's like you said, it was very transactional. It's like, what can you do for me? It's unfortunately the, the site or the perspective is very close. And instead of taking a broader perspective, like we don't see that if we're so clouded by that transactional mindset, right? Right. So if you had the ability to connect with anyone in the world, whether past or present, that you haven't already connected with, who would it be and why? Well, I think a lot of people think I know everyone. I don't. <laughs> Christopher Kai that was together knows more people, more famous people than, than, uh, than myself. So if I, if I think about that, probably the person that comes to mind, cause I think more in that, that giver mentality. Yeah. So I know it sounds strange, maybe not, but Oprah is a very interesting, iconic person in our world today. But every time I think of her, I just think about, you know, people crying and like her giving away things during her show, all that she gives to third world countries and those in need. And 
Now, Bill Gates and, and Jeff Bezos and others, they give, they're very philanthropic, but you know, I just, I look at Oprah as very genuine being a giver for a long time and, and who had a tough life. And, and so of course I wanted, wanted to be like, you know, one of the books that she would promote, but, but I, I would say though, you know, Oprah really just is someone that I have held up in high regard for many years and yeah, had the opportunity to meet Oprah. Oh, wouldn't nice. Decline, wouldn't decline it. Be very, no, if I had that. Oh, yeah, okay. That'd be nice. Yeah, no, it's not, it has not happened. But I know people have worked with her that have reinforced, you know, my thoughts about, about her. So yeah, that would be the one person. So if you could arrange it, I'm ready. Let's make it a mission. And for our listeners too, let's make this a mission for Larry. <laughs> Just help Larry out. <laughs> make it happen. I'm ready. <laughs> you know what? Oprah is definitely a very inspirational being, especially like hearing about her childhood. And even one of her mentors, Maya Angelou, is just, it's just very inspiring hearing the stories between and the relationship between the two. Now, I kind of want to transition to a topic a little bit that's a little bit more different. And this topic specifically, I believe it is not commonly talked about in our current society. And it's the topic essentially is relationships, whether they're professional, family, friendly, or romantic. Whether this is about starting a relationship, maintaining a relationship, ending a, a relationship, and all the details with understanding a relationship. So even for myself, many individuals in my circle, I feel that this is something that has many of us had to quote-unquote fail in order to learn more about. So if there was any advice with relationships you were able to pass down to the next generation in our world, what would it be for the following aspects? And the first aspect I have would be a professional relationship. Well, you know, I think like for me, failure and success has been good to see both. Yeah. To have bad relationships, to have bad managers, to have good manager examples. I was in business with a partner, bad. But you know what? I I don't have an MBA. I have an undergrad from Loyola, but I... I don't have an MBA, but you know what? That experience was my MBA. I saw everything and it gave me insights to help other people. Mm-hmm. But I think those that only experienced success and never experienced some failure, some bad relationships, some difficult bosses, if it was always smooth sailing, how are they going to be prepared for failure or a misstep? Mm-hmm. So I've been through everything. And so, you know, and if, if everything's smooth, talk to people who have been through challenge so you can be prepared on how to address it and overcome it. Yeah. So to embrace failure and to just challenge yourself then. And would you say this would be, this could also be applied in romantic relationships and friendships as well? (laughs) If, If I had smooth sailing during my, my dating life, that would be pretty amazing. I would say, uh, I was not that popular kid in school and things didn't improve until college. And, and frankly, you know, I, I struggled to meet the right girl that, you know, because I want, I, I ultimately wanted to be in a relationship. And so I, I'd struggled and I was about to, you know, sign up for a dating service back in the day. We didn't have com dating services. We, we had, a whole different type of, you know, yeah, it was a weird process, but 
I was almost all set to sign up. And then I met my wife through a McDonald's drive-thru and we eloped to Vegas about a year and a couple months later. And this year we celebrate 32 years. So I'm glad I had some failure so I could meet my wife. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> Just You're a pickup artist at McDonald's? <laughs> Drive-thru, you know, Drive went for a manager, you know, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Speaking of which, like, it's probably not as common too, because you know, like you said, that with the dot coms, like you have your apps, your dating apps. I think that's new norm. And some sometimes, I guess, like you know, even if you were approaching somebody at a coffee shop, that could be deemed as creepy. Well, but now you know what? Because of COVID, and you know that we're so virtual, you got to rely upon relationships, just like in business. And mm -hmm. I, I have, I, you know, years ago, I helped to get a couple married. I've put people on dates. So I'm a connector. I'm, I do it in all types of ways, you know? So, but I, I helped a gentleman get a job as a, as a CEO for a big company through a very strategic introduction. And then when he was in transition another time, I had made an introduction to a woman that I, you know, thought that they should know each other professionally and, I kind of said, I'm going to make this connection, but I really think there's more to it. <laughs> and I, I told them both that separately and they've been dating for a year now. So, oh, wow. And they didn't tell me for a year. So <laughs> <laughs> you never know, you never know, but uh, you've got to leverage the network, especially during COVID to make some of those connections too. Oh, most definitely. <laughs> wow. Let's say from a parenting aspect, is again with family, with your wife and two children. Were there any methods that you found impactful when it came to teaching or exposing your kids to building genuine relationships? I would say my daughter's probably a little more introverted. Okay. My son is probably more extroverted, but I introduced my son to a lot of people as he was trying to explore his career path and having him see how I built these relationships or why Desmond Clark did that for him. Uh -huh. So they've seen that and my kids have read the book and, you know, and they get it, they understand it. They know I'm LinkedIn Larry, but they understand the importance of building relationships, you know, but they're, they're still young and still a lot to learn. And, you know, and I'm not a perfect parent and believe me, messed up a lot. You could read books. People could tell you what to do. It's trial and error. And, yeah. and unfortunately, they've been through a lot of trials and errors. So, <laughs> uh, they do understand the value of relationships. And I think as they mature, it will, you know, it'll come together because they know it's, it's probably pushed far back into their brain now. Mm -hmm. And it's going to start to move its way forward soon. Yeah. And with you like leading by example too, that, I would presume that, that definitely helps a lot. Right? I hope so. Aaron. I hope so. <laughs> Okay, so if you don't mind me asking, then as a parent, what were some of your biggest struggles, if there were any, that you and your wife found when it came to teaching your kids about building genuine relationships? I don't know if there were, there were struggles. I think it was just they they watched us, you know, build relationships with folks in the neighborhood. You know, okay. I think they watched when we. You know, I have a, a, a couple that uh, we go out with and they're 
let's see, they're probably 25, 30 years older. And my wife and my kids are like, what's going, can't you find anyone your own age? <laughs> and I think when they, they met them, they realized how exceptional they were mm-hmm. and, you know, how we had forged a relationship and, and they came to love the, this couple, you know, still to this day, like, Hey, when can we see them next? You know? So I think they see by example, those types of you know situations and scenarios. Uh, okay. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. Now we're about to wrap up the podcast here and I have three more questions for you that I ask all my guests. So before I ask my first question, I'm just curious, have you read the book, The Go-Giver? I'm trying to remember who the author is. It's Bob Burke. Bob Burke. Yeah. So I am familiar with the book. I've actually spoken live to Bob before. Oh, wow. And, you know, a fan of the concept. So I've, I've skimmed, but I, I actually have not read it, but everyone keeps telling me, Larry, you know, you kind of live your life like the go-giver. And I wrote my book in a very different fashion, right? Mm-hmm. You know, not a fable. It's, it's, a, it's very, very different, but probably some similar, you know, concepts. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, even reading your book, even talking to you right now, right off the bat, it, I'm just making ties. I'm like, man, just right off the bat, I resonate with the book. And I, I, there's like an instant connection because of those principles that you go by. But I guess going back, so the first question I have for you is then, is there one book or resource you would recommend to our listeners that was most impactful to you and your development in becoming who you are today? So, I mean, it's, it's interesting that you ask that. So I've read books that I've been forced to read for <laughs> jobs, leadership roles, sales roles, all types, you name it. I've had to read them. It doesn't mean that they shaped me, helped me. You know, some were helpful in some of my skill development and sales and things like that. But I have to tell you, it's the people that I've been around in my life that I learned more that shaped me and developed me more Mm -hmm. than the books I read. Now, I'm not saying don't read my book because that will help (laughs) you. But but, but for me, because I know a lot of people do read those books and go, Oh my God, I read this book and this changed everything for me. I haven't been that, that person. And I've been shaped more by the people in my life. You know, my wife, my children, people I've worked for and with. I talked about people in public accounting. It's just, a, it's the people around me that worked for me, mm-hmm. with me, that I've worked for, the people in my personal life that really have shaped me. I love that because that is so true too. A lot of times meeting people, it's a different way to see a perspective, especially, especially with men. Like if you have if people have mentors or just even friends, sometimes even meeting someone, I find that meeting someone that's like a complete polar opposite to you. What helped me with that is like, it gave, it gave me perspective of how someone totally opposite of with me would think and try to develop that empathy and understand why they think like that. So yeah, that's powerful. I, I really I really appreciate that answer. Next question I have for you then is what does being first generation mean to you? Now I use this term in a more metaphorical sense than literal. And I define someone as first generation as someone that has paved their own path and definition of success on their own terms. No matter the hardships, negativity, and the obstacles that they had to overcome, they still endured. And essentially everybody in our world, we, many of us may walk similar path, but no one walks the exact same path. So to me, that's the definition of, that's how I define first generation. So if I was to ask you, what does it mean or what do you think it takes to be first generation? What would be your answer? 
So, you know, I, I put in my headline on LinkedIn and my headline that I'm an eternal optimist. And, yeah. you know, when my kids say, I'll try to do this, or maybe I could do this, or I was talking to someone today on, on the team about a trip next year that you could win. And that person said, hey, I'd like to be able to win this. I said, no, you will win it. You, you have to, you have to believe that's going to happen. So I've always been that person that says, maybe I'll get that done. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe I'll win that. Maybe I'll achieve that. And even if I don't, I still have to have the mindset that I will. Mm-hmm. And so I would say as that first generation mindset, I haven't let the bullying that I've been through in my lifetime. And mine was very physical bullying. It wasn't just verbal. And so I've been through a lot and a lot of challenge in, in with, you know, a business partner and ups and downs and, and things that, that stress you and health issues with child, the children and things you go through and sleep deprivation. And we've been through a lot in our 32 plus years, just as husband and wife and parents, but in the business world. And so if you let it consume you, uh, then maybe you're not first generation. So I, I let it, I, I let it help fuel me to get past it and thrive and not be reliant upon others, but to be reliant upon myself and get it done. So I've always come out, may not be perfect, but I've always come out ahead and took something away from every bad experience or difficult experience. Yeah. So if you don't mind me asking, many of us, we, in fact, almost every single human being, we have our own methods or ways of obstacles and hardships that we go through. What keeps you going through that? You know, for some people, even for myself, like whenever I go through hardship, I instantaneously, for me, it's my mother. For her, like she's worked so hard to immigrate to North America. And for me, whenever I go through hardship or I feel like I've given up or let's say after I failed and I am in the process of picking myself up, I always revert back to that thought that, hey, my mother gave up everything to put me in this country and give me an opportunity to succeed. So what is that for you? Well, I mean, I, I always feel failure is not an option. So yeah. it doesn't mean you have to be a multimillionaire or a billionaire, but you can't let a bad experience, a bad boss, a bad job, mm-hmm. health. Obviously, you can only control it to a, a point, but you know, you're focusing on getting better. But, you know, I have a family. So my family has been my inspiration that, you know, I can't let my family down. Yes. I've got to set the example. That, you know, when things get difficult. So if my son later in life and I'm not here and he goes, it's difficult, but you know, dad went through this, went through that. And he, he made it past that time. And I've, I've written letters to my kids that they have already. Mm-hmm. If I ever leave, it's things that they can reflect upon good things about themselves and trying to give my words of wisdom when I'm not here. Yeah. Besides my book, I wrote them letters, but you know, I, I would say it's my family that has inspired me. And then when I was younger and it wasn't, I didn't, wasn't married, you know, it was just that I felt I deserved better and that I am better and I don't have to let the bullies, mm-hmm. you know, let me, you know, lead my life. I didn't go for therapy. I, I made it through myself. Yeah. Thank you for sharing, Larry. 
Last question I have for you then is where can we find you on social media? Where can we find more details about Larry Kaufman and your work online? Well, you know, LinkedIn Larry, if you can't find Larry Kaufman in all caps on LinkedIn in Chicago, that's where one, one place you'll find me on Amazon, the NCG factor. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Clubhouse. That's it. Facebook. Yeah. Okay. So that's it. That's it for now. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad for someone of my maturity. <laughs> and, and for our listeners, I'll be posting all of Larry's links in the episode description below. So be sure to check those out, especially his book, The NCG Factor. Again, it's it's a wonderful book, and I wish this is something that I've stumbled across when I was going through university. I think that if I had stumbled across it even more, I would be able to realize more of my potential, especially within my network and my connections. But yeah, Larry, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom, especially with relationships and connecting on LinkedIn. You got it, Aaron. It was a real pleasure. Great to connect today. Thanks for everything. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can follow us on Instagram and subscribe to us on YouTube at First Generation Podcast. For any questions, comments, and inquiries, please reach out to Aaron at firstgenerationspodcast.com. That is A-A-R-O-N at firstgenerationspodcast.com. Stay tuned for the next episode.